Hello there. Thanks so much for stopping by. Welcome to Here's Hoping, my imaginary coffee shop, where good conversations are always on the menu, no matter what we look like on the outside. I'm your host and head barista, Catherine Gabriel-Jones. Well, the unexpected closure due to staffing challenges continues. We at Here's Hoping had a full slate of staff for a little while, and then one of us fell ill, and it became a cascade of each of us taking care of one another through sleepless nights, bringing one another broths, fluffing pillows, and trying to stay hydrated, all while trying to get the tissues into the wastebasket. You know, the only kind of entertainment that you can enjoy when you're sick. All of this has brought to mind how people throughout my life inspire me through encouragement and care. And thinking about all of that reminds me of a conversation I had with Scott Cooper Tilton in 2020. We sat down and shared a conversation for my Friends for the Journey podcast, and It lingered throughout all of the months since. And since the staff and the construction and the plans for the grand reopening of Here's Hoping has been put on hold for a little bit longer, I thought it was worth sharing the full conversation that I had with Scott with you. It inspired me then, and it inspires me now. Here's hoping you find it meaningful, too. I want to give a real thank you, Scott. You and I have known each other for a number of years. Right. You are a parishioner at the church where I happen to work, and we have had some really um, faithful conversations. Absolutely, yeah. So, Scott, a quick question for you to begin it all off. You have experience living in the United States of America, in India, and in Mm -hmm. Malawi, And you have experience in the Peace Corps and have meandered through many different landscapes of soul and life. What's the first thing that you want to talk about right now? Well, I I think that we've been talking about transitions. And each time that you move from, you know, one home to another home, Mm -hmm. especially if it's in another culture, another country, where you're, um, you may not even speak the same language and have this mm-hmm. share the same history. Um, it's, it's a, it's a eye opening and a very humbling experience mm-hmm. to live in other places and experience life to a degree, a limited degree, but lim- experience life the way other people around the world experience it. And um, other people have very different ideas about reality, about faith, about um, morals and, and common decency. They're, 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 they uh, are different from place to place. 
and um, learning that and um, experiencing that, I think, gave me insight into um, it gave me an opportunity too to examine what I believe, why I believe those, what things are important to me, and what things um, I could let go and um, not derive my identity from those things. Wow. Your thoughtfulness in reflection and response is to me a tremendous gift. <laughs> I so enjoyed your reflection on ritual mm -hmm. and how ritual provided this touchstone and offered a constancy for you in the midst of transition in this world. And there was something that you had mentioned in a written conversation that we had that was really very powerful. You had mentioned opening yourself to sound. Mm -hmm. So often in our society, we have that connection between mindfulness and sound, that the sound has to be a natural sound or a sound that comes from nature. And right. you actually talked about opening yourself to, the, to any sound that was present. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about that wisdom that you discovered in that? Well, yes. Uh, I, I'm not really sure what the roots of it were, but... Um, I did spend some time with um, a meditation uh, guide who was a close friend of mine, and he 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 taught me a lot of uh, kind of yoga and meditation techniques. And one of the things that I I picked up on was, um, you know, not trying to get away from filling your mind with thoughts because our minds are so active and they run here and there, mm -hmm. and how we can calm that. Um, tendency to just be thinking and planning or reassessing what happened. And one of the, the ways that I discovered was just listening to sound. So much of our experience as we go through the day, our mind is subconsciously shutting signs out. Mm -hmm. We don't hear uh, the sirens that, that go by or the maybe the sound of, a, of an air conditioner or a fan or something. We kind of, it kind of like we dismiss it, it consciously. And what I would do is I would take walks out. Um, we had a, a, a dog that we uh, found on the street. There's a lot of dogs in India that are homeless and running around and some of them are injured and stuff. But we took this little puppy in and, and I would take her for walks in the, in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I would just walk and then I, I would rest on a, on a certain rock and just be quiet. Mm -hmm. And I would listen to the, the different sounds as they came. And, and suddenly you could hear, you know, there was more than just one songbird. There were four, five, maybe 10 different levels of wow. songbirds or crows or different, different sounds going on. And to try to listen to those and hear all of those simultaneously. Wow. It really expanded, you know, you, you really can't think of anything else. You just, if you're focusing on the sound. Mm. And I also discovered that, you know, we, we tend to like, um, sometimes we'll play a recording of a babbling brook or something when we're sleeping, when we want to go to sleep or something. But, mm -hmm. you know, in reality, in real life, there's sounds all over. You can hear halves of plane taking off overhead. 
and or a dog barking or you know someone yell, some kids yelling to playing playing some kind of game in the distance or a truck might be going by shifting its different gears and all of these are sounds and what i tried not to do is is like not attach any negative association to any of the sounds i would just listen they're sounds mm-hmm. and not not make judgments oh that's a man made sound you know that's a distraction no there it's a sound and and not in 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 that way i kind of began to feel like this this is just the world around me and and man is very much a part of the, the natural world. Mm-hmm. We're living in it, where it surrounds us, we're in it uh, like a fish in the sea, right? It just sur- surrounds us and, and we're actually a part of that landscape. Wow. So, yeah, so not making judgments or like saying, uh, you know, making this is a great song and I, I really want to listen to this and that's distracting me. Just, just hear the sound. Yeah. And do it at different levels if you can hold on to hearing that crow in the distance while you're hearing a a dog barking and while you're hearing a truck going by shifting its gears. You you know, it's like that takes all your concentration and all your thought process. You don't have time to think of uh, well, I find it for, for me. I don't know if that would work for everyone, but I found it just like quiet in my mind. Yeah. As you're talking, the image that unfolds in my mind is of this chrysanthemum that just keeps opening with many different right. petals, and each petal is a sound. Multi-layered, yes, yeah, right. It's interesting because part of the challenge that has surprised me in this pandemic and how it has impacted the world is the number of people who miss the ambient sound of their office workplace Mm -hmm. or miss the ambient sound that they had become accustomed to. Yeah, it's a familiar place, yeah. Yeah, and your inclusion of the intentionality of suspending judging the sound that's there. Mm -hmm. And that's that in and of itself is this intention that changes depending upon the sound. Right. What a phenomenal opportunity to reflect and perceive. Yeah, it's a, it's an it's an exercise. Yeah. Just like um, meditation is, or or any any kind of technique. It's uh, even prayer. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of times when you well, at least when I find myself in prayer you know, I'll start to pray for a certain person and then I'll think about a conversation we had and then I'll think about this dynamic and that dynamic. And, then, and you know, one thing can lead to another and it's so easy yeah. to be distracted about the actual act of prayer yeah. and focusing on that and, and um, kind of quieting the mind down and yeah. stop right, racing in different directions. And I think that's a, that's a, an aspect of our modern life. Mm. Everything is vying for our attention. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the ads are screaming at us. Uh, the phone always wants to get your attention because it's singing at you. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these parts of our modern life that are vying for our attention. So it's, it's easy to get distracted. Yeah. And that, the sound listening was a, the way for me to quiet my mind. There's, there's many different ways you can come to that place. Yeah. This multifaceted, multi-pedaled experience brings to mind your 
experiences of shifting from the United States of America to India and then to Malawi. Mm -hmm. How has your experience of the overarching presence of if we call it God or the divine experience or the mm -hmm. supreme or the source, how has your experience of that overarching presence shifted during these transitions? Right. I would say probably in a, in a word, it, it is expanded mm -hmm. um, because a lot of what we find to be of a, of a, religious or spiritual nature oftentimes is very tied to our own very limited personal experience mm -hmm. right and and that may not always be the case for other cultures mm -hmm. uh, i'll give an example when i when i was in india it's a the the, the difficult um cultural shock for me wasn't the indian culture mm -hmm. So much as it was the city culture. Oh. <laughs> I went from from all, I grew up in Olna, which is 300 people, and Rockland, which is uh, you know a small town in Maine, um, to uh, Bangalore, which is 12 million people, and it's just exploding. Hundreds of thousands of people move in every week. Wow. <laughs> you know, it's like it's 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 crazy. So um, so. I went from a place where it was easy to kind of find this little secluded corner and have a time of prayer and, and have time um, um, with your personal space, right? Mm -hmm. when, when I was over there, uh, the sense of personal space is much different. Wow. They are, they are much closer, you know, um, cutting in line um, is just the, the way you do it, you know, <laughs> ignoring the people around you and just pushing yourself forward in front of everybody or driving mm -hmm. or any of those practices um, is much different than wow. it is in, in, in Maine, especially, mm -hmm. you know, in, in Maine, when we come to a, a yield sign, we're, we're very kind. We let the <laughs> other car go, oh, no, 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 after you, after you, please go ahead. And it's not like that in India, <laughs> or at least in this urban environment, you know, if you even look both ways, they are going to cut in front of you and, and uh, take some kind of advantage. And, you know, I would get upset. Mm -hmm. You know, I would get upset and I would actually, you know, say to someone, <laughs> cut in front, excuse me. <laughs> I'm here. Do you not see me? Wow. But there, you know, there, there was a two foot difference between me and the counter. Mm -hmm. That, in their mind, said, "Okay, you don't need that. You know, that space is going to get filled, and I'm going to fill it." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and you know, that's a difficult. You know, that's a really difficult transition to make, yeah. especially if you mm -hmm. think, "Hey, if you respect people, mm -hmm. you." you respect their space and you respect their place. Yeah. And, and, but that's not, they're, um, they're very, um, very spiritual people mm -hmm. in, in, in the, uh, they're very um, religious. The Hindu, Hinduism was uh, the most common faith that where I, I lived. Mm -hmm. um, but so, but that, that understanding that we have that this is, um, this, uh, 
I'm a child of God and you have to respect my faith. That's not necessarily the same sentiment that, that everyone has all the world around. And that, you know, and so that takes humility Mm -hmm. and saying, okay, there can be a different understanding. Now I would still insist, (laughs) no, I was here first (laughs) and I'm next. (laughs) I would, and I would say there's a, the queue, they call it a queue because it's a British <laughs> colony. Uh, go to the back of the queue or get, I'm next in the queue. And they would, they would do it. Wow. And, uh, but uh, wow. they have to be reminded or I reminded them. I don't know if they had to be. Yeah. <laughs> so it's different. Those kinds of things we often associate with religion and mm-hmm. faith and respect. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the, the, it, you can see things differently mm-hmm. and still have this idea they, that everything they do is infused with the divine because oh, they have a lot of gods mm-hmm. and the gods are everywhere. And what you can't, um, well, an expression is you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a, a temple. There are lots <laughs> of temples for this one and that yeah. one. And, you know, yeah. Hanuman and, and uh, Ganesh and, and uh, Ram and, all the different uh, um, gods and uh, principalities that they have, mm-hmm. you know, um, spiritual influences. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm trying to say, Kate, is that what we often associate as poor spiritual truth mm-hmm. uh, with relation to, go- to God and man, mm-hmm. it's sometimes are seen differently. So maybe some things might be actually cultural beliefs and they may be good ones you know they may be legitimate and and things that help society work but they aren't necessarily um divinely ordered uh mandates (laughs) and so so part of that respect and for having other people is don't take things personally yeah so much you know it's not you are not the end all and be all of of uh, <laughs> of what the world is about, you know, you're yeah. you're experiencing your relationship with one another. You're experiencing your relationship mm-hmm. with God, and just um, mm-hmm. like you said, be, being respectful and understanding and open. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I still like my space. <laughs> I still like personal space, especially in the time of coro- uh, Corona, you yeah, know, ha- yeah. having a six foot difference, you know, uh, we get a little bit uptight yeah. when someone gets closer than that. And, uh, and, and so this is a, you know, this is, this is part of our culture and part in a, in a good thing, but yeah, there are different ways all the way around the world. That's just one example that I was referring to. Mm-hmm. And then you moved from Bangalore to Malawi. Yes. Yeah. I joined the joined the Peace Corps, right? For which is a two year service a commitment. Mm-hmm. And um, as part of that program, when you go to a new culture, a, a new country, a new culture, you do so by invitation. The country has invited. Oh wow! The U.S. to participate to provide trainers. Mm-hmm. We're basically training people to become more self-sufficient, training others in the culture, in the society, in the towns, in the villages, to be trainers themselves mm-hmm. in turn. So we're just providing tools. We're not, we're not giving, you know, we're not supporting them economically. 
-hmm. but we're pro pro trying to provide tools. Well, in order to do that, you need to first understand the culture mm -hmm. and, and, and live within that culture and also learn the language mm -hmm. so that you can live, live among people and, and be part of them. What, what Peace Corps volunteers will do is they, they live in a home that's provided in the community that you are assigned and working in. And so you go to the same marketplaces that everyone else goes to. You eat the same foods. You understand the culture and the, the work patterns and the economy of, of the local people. Wow. And that was just, that was an incredible experience. It really was. It was not easy, especially at my age, eight, you know, language comes yeah. difficult. And, you know, I would always, <laughs> when I greeted people, Mutandala Uli, they would always smile. That means, how are you this afternoon? Uh, they would always smile because they knew I really <laughs> <laughs> didn't quite say right or something, but, but at least I was trying, and that meant a lot, you know, to people. Yeah. That sounds like a significant transition to go from Bangalore, yeah. a city of 12 million people, right. to Malawi. And having seen some of the pictures of right. you in Malawi, it was not crowded like Bangalore. Right, exactly. It's a, it's a small country. It's one of the smallest in Africa. I don't know if it's the smallest, but it's about the same size as Maine. And Maine, Maine's population is one million. Okay. So it's a very rural community. Mm -hmm. Well, most of Malawi is rural too, but they have around 20, uh, yeah, around 18 million people, I think, for the whole country. So, um, mm -hmm. and there are 90% of it is subsistence farming. Wow. So there are villages, but, and, and you know, if somebody, if the uh, head of a household will typically inherit two hectares, which is about four acres of land. Mm -hmm. Well, if you have seven children, you know, five of them are boys. You you get you split up that land five ways. Yeah, that's a cultural thing. But that it, and then you, yeah. so you you can see how suddenly mm -hmm. there's too many people living on these limited resources. Yeah, and Malawi gets a lot of rain. It gets about a meter, three feet of rain a year, but they get it all all of it in three months. So wow. it's a deluge. Mm -hmm. Now when there was a, a, a tropical forest because mm -hmm. that was fine yeah. the trees would hold the soil mm -hmm. the rainwater would stay soaked in the ground for months and months and months and be slowly released and into the rivers and the rivers would run um year round yeah well now in malawi deforestation is such a problem they don't have electricity mm -hmm. typically most houses don't have electricity they don't have gas for cooking the only thing they use is is firewood oh, and they wow. have fires going all the time mm. so all these people living hand to mouth relying on trees they've just they've just really de uh devastated the forests mm. so what happens now is that the when it rains three feet <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and so the the trees are no longer there to hold the soil, the soil just washes away wow. and ends up in the rivers and the rivers clog mm -hmm. and become choked. And when the dry season comes, there's no water in the soil. So the rivers dry up. Mm. And so uh, what we were there to do, what I was there, I was an environmental volunteer. So I was helping them do tree nurseries, 
teach about the importance of, uh, of trees, mm-hmm. of um, building up the soil through compost. Mm-hmm. Um, I introduced beekeeping wow. uh, uh, to a lot of poor farmers. Mm-hmm. And I heard back recently, Kate, this has really done my heart great, is that uh, they were sending me pictures of the um, bottles and bottles of honey that they've harvested since I wow. introduced this group to, to, to beekeeping. And this, this can double their annual income. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a huge difference. So I'm, you know, I have, I, I, I had a, um, a lot of joy working with these folks. Um, they're very, very kind. I mean, you, you can't make a blanket statement, but you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're culturally very warm, very accepting and warm towards foreigners like me. And um, you know, I felt like I was really mm-hmm. contributing to to my friends, really, my community yeah. and my friends. And I, said, I, I was hoping to um, extend my service um, for another year. And because of a, a it was a minor um, physical ailment, and my legs would cramp up because I just, mm-hmm. <laughs> because of nutrition, lack of nutrition and, and uh, water, um, I was not able to, to return. So wow. um, there I, came to another period of, of transition and of uh, looking for how to become resilient. <laughs> yeah. Once again, it was a challenging time. And this was, if I understand correctly, a very abrupt transition. It was abrupt. Yeah, I was scheduled to, to return to Malawi. I was home on home leave, visiting my family, my children, and... Uh, scheduled to go back uh, the next day, Saturday, and I get a call from the headquarters in Washington D.C. You cannot go back, wow. and uh, and they terminated my service. So that that was sudden, yeah. uh, and I wasn't prepared. I I didn't have any things other than a, a, a little bit of clothing, um, oh. and I didn't have a place to stay or a vehicle or a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I. I, it, it was, um, you know, honestly, it was a really dark time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, surprising, people might be surprised to hear it, but it was a difficult transition, if not more, coming back to the United States and getting used to this culture because wow. I had been away for five years. Yeah. And it was, just, it was, just, I, I, I was overwhelmed. You know, Americans, American society. We're self-reliant. Mm-hmm. We're independent. Yeah. We we carry our problems on our own, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I had become unused to that, <laughs> so I had to get used to that again. Yeah. Well, and there was so much heart and soul in the work that you were doing, right? And yes. that is a that's a wounding. Mm-hmm. It it becomes this this wound that remains yeah and will eventually scar mm-hmm. and will be something that we carry with us but it remains but it can be a positive thing too even if it's, it's a scar it can it can have a, a positive value too i think yeah well after a bone is broken when it's been reset mm-hmm. then that bone becomes stronger yeah and but that still is a fracture that's still a wound right and you don't want to go jumping off a building just because that 
the case. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and I'm so not thrilled is just feels like an incorrect word. It's, I feel grateful to be able to talk with you about this experience. It's a little bit like the many blind sages touching an elephant, that we have this experience that so many of our brothers and sisters in the world and all of our non-binary siblings as well have experienced this kind of deep soulful wounding that leaves them flabbergasted, gobsmacked, and wondering how they can take their next step. Right. It's easy to see it as something that you just pick up and keep going. But there is that place of holding that intentionality of sound Mm -hmm. that that was present before the wounding and it will be present after the wounding and it can be with you now in this transition. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't want the listeners to be, um, you know, Pollyannish about, you know, uh, um, about this. It's, it's hard. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, things, you know, about resiliency and you know, about depending on other people and turning to God. But when you go through it, sometimes you just are frozen or you're too scared. and, And it's, and it can be a very dark place. Yeah, and you know, I I had some resiliency training, mm-hmm. but when I went through this, you know what got me through, Kate? Isn't isn't <laughs> my training or my? It was the love of others. Yeah, other people reached out to me mm-hmm. and said, Scott, you know, we have uh, we're going to be going on vacation mm-hmm. for um, a few weeks, and would you watch our house? Mm. Or we're going to be going. Uh, would you like to, we have an extra room. Would you like to stay with us? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, friends and um, loved ones opened up their homes to me. And that was the, that just having a place to, to be mm-hmm. gave me a, a foundation. And I, I, you know, I, I can understand how devastating homelessness can be because um, it's a scary place if you don't mm-hmm. know where you're going to stay. Yeah. So, uh, that that's what helped me and not wasn't something from within mm-hmm. completely it was mostly the grace of god yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. you know that uh friends showed me and then um the kindness of family um mm. because of the differences in space and distance of, of countries i i became separated from my wife mm-hmm. and we our marriage ended as as a result, and that was also part of me not being able to return to Africa. Mm-hmm. But also, she was very gracious to me and sent me some money that really helped me make it financially at the start. So then I was able to buy a vehicle, mm-hmm. and then I was able to start my carpentry business back up, and little bit by little bit, you know. And most of the work I I got was through people in my faith community. Wow. And they said, well, I have a job that you, you could do and, and, and people would reach out and, and provide work for me. So it was really this, I was the recipient of a lot of grace. <laughs> that is also an important part of resiliency, yeah. It is. I'm so glad that you brought this in because it is easy 
on the outside of that dark tunnel or hole, whatever metaphor we want to use, it is easy from the outside to say, well, you just pick yourself up and keep going. Right. But there is a feeling of being frozen. I mean, you describe it so beautifully because yeah. I think every single person that I have talked with in my volunteering with ministering to ministers and my work with clients describes in some way this feeling of their life is not their own. Right. Their body is not their own. Mm -hmm. They suddenly can't move. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. From that place, reaching out to anyone mm -hmm. seems like this Herculean act, which I just, I've just, I'm sorry, nothing works. Mm -hmm. Right. And the value and the importance and the unbelievable grace in another person reaching in right. to you yeah. is so amazing. Yeah, it really was. It, and uh, I was just blessed with people that were aware enough of my situation that they reached out. Sometimes when you're in that place, it's even difficult to say, hey, I need help. But people yeah. were aware and mm -hmm. did help and then maybe told some other people that, hey, Scott could use some work or um, mm -hmm. something like that. So, mm -hmm. and that touched my heart because I realized we all have this ability and this gift to be able to reach out to another person who we know and love and care for and offer something concrete and practical and real. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it can make such a difference. Oh, it really can. Everything that we're talking about brings to mind something that you had written about what hope means to you. Yeah. And I'm tempted to read what you wrote, but I would so much rather hear you talk about it. <laughs> but I'm happy to read what well, you wrote because it's so beautiful. Please, please do, Kate, because I don't have it memorized. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please do. Well, and that, that experience of hope is so difficult to pin down. It's not slippery. It is ethereal, like the mist on a calm summer morning. Mm -hmm. It is ethereal like the pollen of a cornfield that is pollinating for the next season's grain. It's that kind of difficult to pinned down. And I just loved what you had written. Despite widespread injustice, despite cruelty and suffering, I believe that goodness is ultimately the inevitable arch of history. That however you envision God as a spirit, a person, a universal presence, there is meaning and value and goodness in our existence. Everything is not okay. There is real harm and there is real wrong in the world. But hope can be the conviction that ultimately all will be well. Mm -hmm. That wrecked me, Scott. <laughs> I had to put it down for a minute. Did I write that? <laughs> you wrote that. <laughs> and there is within that a poignancy in the honor, in the longing for hope, mm -hmm. the honor in that radical rebellious thought that there can be goodness 
and kindness and grace that will outlast and still be standing when the dust settles. Right. Yeah. And, you know, Kate, when you were reading that, I, I, I remember that part of the inspiration for that is this, the whole experience that we are going through as a, as a society about the injustice towards blacks mm-hmm. and the injustices that, uh, you know, formerly enslaved people have experienced and still experience. Mm-hmm. And I do believe in just, I do believe in, in the ultimate goodness. Uh, otherwise we'd, we'd have despair. I think Yeah. this is why I think it's so good of us to stand up and say black lives matter, that this kind of indiscriminate killing cannot be acceptable, that we cannot just be silent in the, in the face of this great injustice that we have to speak out. Mm-hmm. There is hope. There is um, ultimate goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what a radical, rebellious mm-hmm. uh, expression. It's like that shouting yawp. Yeah, hollering into the void that that hope can be present, and I'm I'm reminded of our previous discussion about the sound. Yeah, those small sounds don't stand alone. Right, these small acts of rebellious hope and compassionate grace are the little things, the eye contact. And the longing that this person could see my smile even though I'm wearing a mask. Mm-hmm. Or the acknowledgement that pain is present and need not be compared to be acknowledged. Right. Yes. That's very good. That's very well said, Kate. Um, yeah. It's a spirit of humility and a spirit of compassion. And uh, yeah. I, I think it, it, it's so well expressed. To, um, to love this, this whole philosophy that God is love. Yeah. And that is what we're called to, to be. Yeah. Yeah. Ministering to ministers as an organization has worked for 25 years to step into that place where people experience a soulful wound in their ministry. And mm-hmm. for 25 years, Ministering to Ministers has worked for clergy. In their next 25 years, they want to reach out to people who step into their world, into their life, with that call that they are honoring as a teacher. Working in the Peace Corps, for crying out loud, the grocery attendants who are literally keeping our society running right now. Right. And as the healthcare workers, as just, I think of the number of people who are doing their jobs, which three or four years ago would have just been called a job. But now it's kind of a calling when they get up and keep going. And if you're feeling that pain, that's what's important. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe it's just loneliness, or I should say simply loneliness. Yes, yeah. but that can be a deep and abiding pain. So, you know, getting back to uh, the talk about compassion, about just being aware of other people and what they're going through and being open um, to um, see yeah. the needs of others and, and doing what you can. You, you can't necessarily 
you know, change everything yourself. You know, you can't, you can't yeah. take on the whole system, but you can change your part of the world. You can make a difference. And you do that through compassion and through um, giving and being available. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so true. Scott, there's one other thing that I really wanted to ask you. Sure. You've had the benefit of the experience and the challenge of the experience of living in different cultures and being immersed in different faith traditions, different expressions of spirituality and different religions. Would you be open to talking a little bit about what your experience of that has been? It really has been amazing, Kate, on so many different instances. Uh, when I was in India, uh, India, for people that may not be aware, of course, it, there was a system called the caste system. And it kind of graded people, you know, these people are inferior, uh, these people are, are um, better, and then there's others that are um, superior to everyone else. And there is that mindset of how people are treated. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have it going in. America is generally not like that. We, we really do believe in, in equality and um, the, the goodness of people, regardless of their station in life. And mm-hmm. so we had a, a driver that took us around and he was such a kind and generous person. And he did something that was unusual. He invited us to dinner with him. And we celebrated one of the holidays in India, uh, in Hindu, the Hindu tradition. And I think it was uh, during the celebration of Ganesh. Mm. And he's one of the gods. And so they have her in their home. They have sacrifices on their altar, which are, you know, coconuts and palm leaves and oil and, and these kinds of things. And they provided us with a meal. And so we ate with them. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit embarrassing because they withdrew. They didn't eat with us. Mm. They, in their tradition, that, you know, when you have guests over, you let them eat, you serve them. Wow. So, but that was just a wonderful, wonderful experience and a different you know, and they're just such loving people. The the children are so great. Uh, I, uh, I I just loved them. It was really fun. Uh, and 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 I had a a, a similar experience with a, a next door neighbor friend of mine in India. He was a Zoroastrian, mm. which is um, uh, one of the oldest faiths there are. Yeah. And he was opened up his home. Now they're from a wealthy family. A totally different uh, socioeconomic scale, <laughs> and but they also generously, generously opened up their home to us, fed us, shared their traditions with us. Wow. And and when I was in Malawi, Malawi is overwhelmingly a, a Christian country. What they would call themselves as a Christian country, mm-hmm. but there is a population of Muslims, mm-hmm. and I got to meet these shopkeepers in my little village. And they were they were just so hospitable and wow. kind, and they invited me to go to their service, mm-hmm. and I worshipped at their mosque, and you know they were so free and kind about that about inviting a foreigner wow. 
a stranger yeah. and not even a Muslim. They knew I was a Christian, and and yet they respected my faith, and yet they were willing to share theirs with me. And then they we went home, and again, it all centered around food. Yep. They would cook these wonderful, delicious meals that we <laughs> wow. we would after service. So, I mean, those those things told me that there's there's different religions, but there is one God, mm-hmm. and the focus of that God, the what she is all about. Mm-hmm is love mm-hmm. it's about giving and caring for one another and sharing yeah. i think this is the ed- essence of of faith yeah yeah in these wonderful conversations with phenomenal guests i'm so often reminded of that hindu proverb that faith is the mountain god is the mountain and there are many different paths up the mountain and mm-hmm. Everyone Mm -hmm. is a wonderful and correct and right path. There is only one wrong path, and that is Mm -hmm. running around and telling other people they are on the wrong path. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Well, I mean, I used to believe that too, Kate. I mean, I've gone through transformation myself. I I used to believe that the way I was brought up and taught is uh, in in a uh, fairly strict Baptist tradition, Mm -hmm. you know, that not only were the world lost, but you know anyone that didn't have my particular Baptist uh, idiosyncrasies <laughs> was also uh, in, in in danger of uh, of getting into big trouble with God. So, <laughs> and you know, it was really like, well, I mean, how did we? How did I? I mean, I grew up in this little town of Alma. How did that become the the center of all? enlightenment and knowledge i don't know you know well it was where you were exactly. it was the road you were walking That's so right. that makes sense and it's and it is good i value that experience and i treasure it yeah. but to to say if everyone is experience and understanding of god isn't exactly like me then they're wrong mm-hmm. that seems yeah. a, a little more than preposterous <laughs> <laughs> Well, man, in this time right now of COVID-19, where it doesn't seem too radical to say that the world will never be the same after this pandemic Mm -hmm. has ended. So how do we step into this experience of being a human being in and among other human beings where we have direct connection with people on the other side of the world? Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all of that, we are also front and center with the suffering of the world right? and with the injustice and the pain of the world that is present. It can be tempting to shut that down. It can be tempting to look away. During our conversation, and again and again as I was reading through your beautiful responses and your phenomenal poem, which is fantastic, by the way. <laughs> well, that was kind of a, that was kind of a, a, a written from a despair. <laughs> well, there is a true universality to it. Let me just tell you, this line has been running through my mind from the Talmud that just seems to be so present. And I'd, I'd love to share it with you if I could. Sure. Do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk 
humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Mm -hmm. That razor line between seeing the pain that is present and recognizing that we can only do what we can do. Right. And that's a lot right there. Yeah. Can make all the difference. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's the only thing that ever does. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. <sighs> yeah. Right. Scott, is there anything else that you wished to include or mention? Kate, I really enjoyed our conversation. I, I think this is a powerful ministry. I'm glad you're involved with it. And, uh, I'm very grateful that you reached out to me and included me in the conversation. I feel like I'm the lucky one here, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I live with chronic pain as kind of a companion. It sometimes is a little louder than others. And so I have found tremendous support and community and camaraderie in a number of online communities where I can gather with others with whom I can share what it's like on a crappy day or encourage another person when they're in the midst of a crappy day. I heard this during a chronic pain forum. Someone told me, it's the times when I feel sickest or weak that I forget what it's like to feel strong. When this person said this beautiful saying, they felt it was so important to speak the words that when they feel weak, when their pain increases, when their fatigue becomes a palpable force in their life, it's easy to forget that there are days when they feel strong. Maybe that happens to everyone. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. If so, you're not alone. You're really not. I am so much better at taking care of others than I am at taking care of myself. Whatever the reasons might be for that particular quirk, it matters that I have an awareness of that particular challenge. My awareness that when I take care of the people I love, it's easy for me to not take an extra step and remember my own care. To get a little bit of rest when I've been up all night. To remember to eat enough protein to stay hydrated. You know, the little things. I bet I'm not the only person who knows that feeling. I've spent some time taking care of my fellow staff members at Here's Hoping. My imaginary coffee shop can only function because of everyone on my team, so it matters to me that they're taken care of. And when they're not feeling good, I want to help them feel better. But it's important for me to let them take care of me. 
It can't only be a one-way street with the people we love. It's a two-way street, and that can sometimes be hard. The love that I give means that I need to be willing to receive that love. It's an extra step. It might seem like an extra step for myself, but actually, it's a step toward the person I love. It meets them halfway so that I can be with them longer. I can be around more. I can be myself, no matter what may be happening, either with my health, my chronic pain, fatigue. No matter what may be happening, I am still me, just as you are still you. No matter what may be happening in the world or in your body, that is an encouraging thought. Today I'll leave you with a quote that I first heard from a person who I kind of claimed as my mentor. We didn't spend a lot of years together, and yet the imprint that this person made on my life was so fundamental. They taught me how to be me. Here goes. I've gone in search for myself. If I should come by while I'm gone, please ask me to wait. Tell me I'll be right back. Thank you for stopping by my imaginary coffee shop. I'm really glad you visited, and I promise Here's Hoping is still around, even though we're not quite presentable at the moment. If you're interested in having a conversation with me in my imaginary coffee shop for future release, you can send me an email at hereshopingpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. There are links in the show notes. And I'm going to ask for your patience while the whole staff of Here's Hoping recovers. Original music has been created and produced by Seth Jones. Additional audio support has been provided by Zapsplat. Original artwork for Here's Hoping has been created by Ty Sorax with additional graphics created with Canva. Editing, mixing, and production for Here's Hoping is done by me, your humble host and head conversation barista, Catherine Gabriel-Jones. Thank you again. Take care of yourself. Get lots of good rest. Stay warm if it's chilly. Eat protein when you need it. Stay hydrated. And remember that someone out there truly believes in you. You matter in this world. Till next time. Bye-bye.